Well, I just said to this guy before we actually hit record on this podcast that when I think of the Barry Colts, I think of Gene Pereira. Gino, I don't want to date either of us here, but I think we've both been at this for about the same length of time when it comes to being around this league. So uh, I hope you're doing well and looking ahead to the next season with some optimism. Yeah, I think we've been around a couple of years, Mike. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, certainly, uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, just great to hear some, you know, positive hockey news and with everything positive coming back, the schedule coming out, you know, some excitement, the drafts and, and all that. And, you know, talking uh, junior hockey again, which is just great. And you can really see from, uh, you know, the fans and just the reaction that everybody's really excited about uh, getting hockey going again this fall. It's something certainly to look forward to. It feels like forever. And it's interesting when I look back, Gene, the Barry Colts uh, left the league, really, the same place the Kitchener Rangers did. Both of our teams were playing on the Wednesday night, March the 11th, that who knew at the time would turn out to be the last game uh, that was played. In Owen Sound for the Colts, a 4-1 win for Barry. The Rangers were in Guelph that same night, winning 6-5 on the strength of six points from Greg Morales. But when we left the Colts after that win, in Owen Sound, their fifth place in the Eastern Conference. They're led by a guy named Tyson Forster with 80 points to that point in the season. Uh, when we get back at it in October, what kind of Colts team are we going to see on the ice? Yeah, I think, you know, through that deadline, obviously the Colts had made the decision to kind of, you know, pull back and go in kind of a new, uh, a bit of a, a retooling phase. They brought in, uh, you know, Evan Verling and, Ethan Cardwell made some big trades and really, uh, Mike, uh, you know, it was all done with the purpose of, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, last season was canceled with uh, the pandemic. And that was one of the years that the Colts really thought they would take a big step up. And, but really they were building to this year coming. Uh, when you look at it, the, the two years down the road, uh, the Colts figured that this was going to be their big year. So I guess from a Barry standpoint, a lot of excitement around this current roster and, uh, with a lot of returning players, uh, you know, led by the, the Evan Verlings, obviously the Tyson Forcers, the Brant Clarks, uh, you know, some excitement that this team can compete for an OHL championship. You know, it's it's interesting because that, that year off is the wild card for all of the teams. We don't know really uh, what, what teams and what the players will, will really look like when they come back. I know they've been doing the best that they can to play where they can find ice and whatnot, but I, I guess in some ways that'll be the, the great equalizer because usually we can project out like you're talking about, Gene, you know, this team is, is on the upward trajectory of the OHL or the junior hockey cycle. And this team is, is at the point of rebuild. But uh, when you have that kind of optimism coming into a season, that's never a bad thing. That's for sure. Yeah. And you look at, uh, you know, we know in this game uh, at this age level that, you know, the big difference a year can make in development, but for these guys, you know, uh, a lot of them have gone without playing uh, that year. So, how will that uh, help or hinder their development? But, uh, uh, you know, I understand that they, all of them, uh, the whole league, they, these guys try to get on the ice as much as possible through uh, the pandemic, but obviously that was difficult. So I think that'll be interesting. And you kind of forget, you know, last year's draft picks, Hunter Hayde, a first round pick. And, you know, you, you talk to the Colts organization, they're really excited about him. And, uh, you know, Jacob Frasca coming back who had a, 
just impressive, and they're really looking for him to take a, a, that top step and become a top six uh, forward, a second line center. So I think from that standpoint, that's kind of the curious thing for me is just how much has it helped or hindered, uh, or you know, certainly hasn't helped uh, being off the ice, but just how much uh, has it affected the, the development from year to year uh, with these players? You talk about the draft and and what we might be seeing from the freshest faces in the league. Over here in Kitchener, I actually got a call, Gene, from uh, Carson Rakoff's grandmother. She phoned my talk show on 570 News to just let me know how proud she was of her grandson. And, of course, there's a kid that the Rangers took a flyer on because he's committed to the U.S. and they used him 17th overall in their first round. And I said, well, can you can you talk the kid into coming to Kitchener? Have you had any uh, conversations with grandparents up there in Barrie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, that, you know, that's the, that's the great part, watching these kids just, uh, you know, and – uh, you know, you often see it in uh, any draft, be it the OHL draft or even at the NHL draft, that obviously, you know, there's some dejection there when you don't hear your name called, but there's lots of lessons to be learned and that uh, of players that, uh, you know, really come through that don't have that, that don't draft at the NHL and have go on to have uh, outstanding careers. And, you know, the latest one here in Barrie is Andrew Mangiapane with the Calgary Flames. And, Great example. You know, there's a guy who wasn't drafted in the OHL and came as a free agent tryout. And just remember asking Dale, you know, who the heck is this guy? Like, he's all over the place on the ice. And this how's this guy not drafted? And, you know, and uh, under Dale's tutelage, he, he just kind of learned, became a, a pro and, uh, Calgary took them uh, a little bit later in the draft and it, it's paid off for them. So uh, just for, you know, a reminder for, I think all these young guys put in a lot of hard work and, you know, maybe you don't hear your name call, but it certainly doesn't mean that uh, that dream is over of, uh, of playing professional hockey. Obviously you would watch uh, pro hockey exactly the same way I would. And I suspect Gene, most fans in this league, we like to watch the players that came through this league or specifically players that played for our favorite teams and see how they develop as pros. And when you mention Mangiapane, it just gets me thinking to the Stanley Cup final that just started last night as you and I record this on uh, on June the 29th. And I'm going off the top of my head here, but I'm thinking of a, a Goodrow and a Chernak and a Stamkos and a Perry and a Suzuki. And I could probably list a whole bunch more that we watched play in the Ontario Hockey League that are now competing for the biggest prize in the National Hockey League. Oh, it's something. And, uh, you know, another kid, uh, obviously uh, a good friend of, uh, I think, ours, like Doug Anderson, was Josh Anderson's uncle who passed away. And I'm sure Doug's smiling up there right now watching the way Josh has just developed here over his NHL career and with the Montreal Canes. He scored some big goals for them here in this playoff run. And, uh, you know, it's it's just something watching these guys. And, uh, you know, I think that's the, that's kind of the neat thing about belonging to that kind of junior hockey club. Uh, you know, what fans love about it is you get to see these young guys develop before they become the big NHL stars. And, uh, you know, to see them on that uh, elite stage and that this big stage is just fun just, just to see how far they've come. There's been some off-ice news of late in Barrie. Let's start with uh, the departure of Jason Ford. What does that mean for the organization? There's a, We called him down here in Kitchener, the Kitchener Pipeline, because he loved plucking kids from uh, this community to come up there and play for the Colts. Yeah, and you know, Jason, uh, obviously I think it's a big loss for the Colts organization. I thought Jason did uh, a, a pretty good job, got him to the finals against London there. And, uh, 
if you look at uh, his record, uh, he headed up a, a pretty good scouting department. And like you said, taking a lot of those Kitchener, Cambridge area kids and, uh, you know, it worked out well for them over the years. Uh, Mark Shifley is uh, certainly one that they didn't draft, but they, they obviously recognized and acquired in a trade from Saginaw. But uh, uh, I think with Jason, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. And obviously uh, I think in hockey, uh, you know, the old cliche that, uh, uh, any coach or GM is hired to be kind of fired down the road. And Jason was with the organization a long time. And he certainly put his uh, fingerprints uh, uh, on the, on the club. And I think going forward, when you look at it, a lot of players that he drafted are in this lineup are, are part of this team now looking to compete. Rumors that I've been hearing just recently, Gene, about a potential sale of the organization. Uh, any, any truth to the Colts being on the market right now? You know, you, it, it kind of pops up every couple of years, it seems, with uh, especially since Howard uh, Campbell took over the uh, the hockey club. But uh, he, um, you know, I know a couple of years back, I had heard that both uh, Darcy Tucker and Shane Corson were interested in buying the hockey club. And uh, it's something that you hear. And I'm hearing those same rumors again uh, in terms of the club being for sale Uh of course, uh, you know, the, the ownership and the Colts group's quiet about that, but um, it, it's something that I am hearing and, uh, you know, from, uh, from, from some people around the hockey club. So it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what develops here. And, uh, you know, Howard, uh, as uh, Campbell has had the team for a while now, and um, it's, uh, it's, certainly, uh, it's certainly something, obviously, uh, fans are, are keeping an eye on. I guess the important thing is that, as we already mentioned, a schedule is out. We're ready to go for a 2021-2022 season. And the Colts will be a part of that opening night on uh, the Thursday, October the 7th. So uh, even, you know, just selfishly, as, as a guy that covers the team, Gene, you must be looking forward to that and getting back to that sense of normalcy around the rink. Yeah, and it's a great thing that I don't have to wait for <laughs> <laughs> A week or two that it's right that first, uh, you know, available kind of date, uh, you know, uh, for the season. But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously with uh, the Colts, their, their traditional Thursday uh, night home game, Saturday night as well, they play and, uh, you know, kicking off. Uh, traditionally, they usually start a little bit more on the road early on in the season and kind of tend to have a second half with a few more home games. But obviously with the shift in schedules and so on, uh, they're starting out at home. Uh, this season, but uh, and they play the Niagara Ice Dogs, which is always a, a, a rivalry there. And uh, you know, and who knows with uh, the club uh, looking to uh, replace both uh, a coach and GM, uh, a familiar name with both hockey clubs there. Marty Williamson keeps popping up for that position, so it'll be interesting if uh, come uh, October seventh, if you got Marty Williamson behind the bench for the Barry Colts against his old Niagara club. It's funny when you mention that rivalry, I too had heard the Marty Williamson rumors and hey, why not? Let's add just another layer of excitement to the start to the season up there in Barry. Yeah, again, he's he's a familiar name and with uh, uh you know the the, the management group uh, knows uh, Marty well and he's actually they hired him a couple of years ago as a consultant so he was kind of working and just the way it's unfortunate loss of Dale Howard Chuck and and it's worked out now that uh, you know Interim coach Todd Miller, they, they let him go and they've moved on. And now the opposite, uh, the chance too that uh, Marty Williamson, another name I've heard is Darren Rumble. But I, I think Marty, just with the experience 
and just the work he's been doing here, kind of running the club uh, on the interim uh, in the meantime, uh, has to make him a favorite for the, both the coach and GM positions. You mentioned the name Dale Howarchuk, of course, and it will be an interview that Popper and I had before a game in Barrie uh, a few years back with Dale. That will be the feature interview in this podcast, but the podcast is called OHL Stories. So when I touched base with you, I asked you to bring your favorite. It might be about Dale. It might be about something else entirely. But in your couple of minutes here, Gene, uh, covering the Barry Colts, I know it hasn't been that long or anything, but uh, <laughs> what's, what's your uh, what, what's your favorite story from covering the team or from the team itself? Can I can I give you three quick ones? <laughs> sure can. Absolutely. The more the better. Maybe, uh, you know, just uh, obviously starting with, uh, you know, Dale and uh, uh, just when that first year when he came in and, you know, obviously as a coach, he wanted to prove himself, but he really took over a rebuilding hockey club uh, that had gone through major changes. They lost uh, Kyle Clifford and, and uh, Alex Burmistroff to the NHL and uh, that kind of heightened the, uh, the rebuild, but uh, they were playing a, a game early on against in Niagara and uh, the ice dogs were just put to him. I think it was seven, nothing after the first and uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to Dale after the game, but the next day at a home game back in Barrie, uh, Dale was always great to give me some time to sit down with him before each game. And, uh, you know, I asked Dale about that when I was, you know, the old customary, you know, a bit of a tough one last night. And, you know, Dale, Dale said, Dale said, yeah, he said, at one point I was looking for, there's a hole on the bench I can climb down into and just hide. <laughs> And, you know, you know, that was just, you know, typical Dale, like he kind of looked at it in a a comical way. But, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, obviously just, uh, you know, a coach who's trying to prove himself. And uh, uh, he said, geez, if I could have hid there, I would have been great. (laughs) And uh, another one is on a personal, I, I think you'll like this one, Mike, and you'll be familiar with the old Sudbury Arena press box. Oh, I still have nightmares. I'm 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 kind of glad that we're not crossing conferences this year, Gene, so I don't have to climb those stairs. Oh, the stairs! <laughs> that straight up, that lead just straight up. Well, I guess uh, uh, some years back, and Bud Stefanski was coach of the Barry Colts back then, and um, I guess uh, Barry had finished, and customary, I would. I would uh, run down from the press block, get quotes, and then run back up, finish my story, send it off, and then uh, get back on the bus. And, you know, I did that, came, get back up the stairs, start writing my story, and unbeknownst to me, I guess uh, a rink crew had gone up and they put uh, a lock on the gate at the, at the top of the stairs. You got locked in hell. I got locked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm locked up there and I'm thinking this is great. And then I'm trying to call out and like the rink was just, everybody was gone. And I'm going like, I got to get back on the bus. I'm trying to figure out how's this. So I kind of, I knew, I knew I was going to get a good, give him a good chuckle, but I phoned Bud Stefanski on the bus. (laughs) And it's one of those old, you know, Hey bud, uh, I'm kind of stuck up in the press park. He goes, you're what? Oh my gosh, that's great! That is great. Of all places, Gene. Of all places, you know. And uh, he just had himself a good laugh before he sent someone to to get one of the rink guys to open up. And you know, it's bad enough you have to go up there in the first place. And I, I, <laughs> I was hanging out with that wolf on the string up there for 
<laughs> exactly. For a bit. And, uh, you know, uh, Bud just, you know, he had a really good laugh. And, you know, I'm just thankful it wasn't Bert Templeton. He would have left me there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Bert, Bert would have left me there, you know. But, uh, you know, Bud, when I got back to the bus, I was just kind of sheeplessly just trying to get into my seat. But Bud, Bud wouldn't let it. He had himself a good laugh. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, and just uh, another real quick one here. Uh, um, I know uh, I think one of the things watching the NHL playoffs like you talked about, and we watched the that great Islander-Tampa series was called by uh, my friend and former Barry Colts uh, uh, play-by-play guy, uh, John Bartlett, um, doing NHL games now. And uh, John, uh, John and I years ago were working at Barry game and, it happened to be Mike, uh, you know, it was during the NFL playoffs and uh, Pittsburgh and the Jets, I think they were lining up for a field goal, the winning field goal in overtime. And John and I had uh, flipped the game over watching the winning field goal go through up the uprights. And uh, in the meantime, the puck had dropped and Barry had won the faceoff cleanly, got back to the point, And I guess they had scored which was, you know, and the only way John and I knew was we heard the roar of a crowd, but we were more focused on the football game. <laughs> and we were both in our football pools. <laughs> priorities, Gene, priorities. I get this. And John being the good, uh, you know, uh, teammate, you know, threw it over and said, uh, you know, you know, Gene, go ahead, explain that goal. <laughs> Drove that bus right over top of you. Yeah, he just left me behind. And, uh, you know, of course, he had switched the TV over so we didn't have the replay on the monitor because <laughs> we had it on a football game. So it was one of the great moments uh, working with John Bartlett. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we still to this day have a good chuckle about that. But, uh, um, you know, uh, Mike, as you know, just through the years, there's so many great stories. And, uh, you know, best of all, uh, you know, we get to meet so many great people. And, uh uh, you know, through through our years here, through our couple of years here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's really, really what makes it. And, uh, you know, look back and uh, all these stories and, uh, you know, again, just to take it back to Dale Howard, Chuck, uh, to, to get to know Dale and uh, just uh, know, uh, you know, he's a very private person, but, you know, he always made time for me and he always uh, sat sat down with me for a few minutes before the game to go over things. And uh, I always took the time and, uh, you know, I certainly know that in the return here to Barry that, you know, they're going to have a, uh, a few minutes to, to, to honor what was not only a great coach, but a great man. Yeah. Just think how many more great people we'll get to meet if we hang around this league a couple more years, Gene. Yeah, that'll be four. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, you're you're one of them. I've always enjoyed our uh, interactions. They don't happen often enough, but again, going back to what we said just before we started recording this one, who knows? Maybe in the final this year. Maybe I guess uh, that'd be. Uh, I think both Barry Kitchener fans would settle for that. I'm not sure about the rest of the league, but <laughs> I I think uh, they both settle for that. The rest of the league doesn't matter right now. We're talking Barry Colts with a guy that also hosts games in Kitchener, so we're all set. Uh, you, you, you mentioned the name and he truly was a class act and a gentleman and the league lost him yeah. the, the game, the world lost him far too soon. Doesn't need much in the way of introduction, but 
Dale Howardchuck is our feature interview on OHL Stories this week. And I think we have to start with where you just came back from and when you're going back into Winnipeg and, and uh, inducted into that Jets Hall of Fame. What's going through your mind when you go back into that city for that kind of a ceremony? Well, Winnipeg's always been a special place for me, you know, especially being drafted there as an 18-year-old and, you know, played there nine years. So, And I lived there year-round, so I uh, became home and... I guess it's it's just good to go back home and uh, it's a pretty special night. Is you know it's uh, it's an honor, it's humbling, and uh, um, you know I had a closeness to that that province and that city, and uh, um, you know it's a night I'll never forget. It's not too long ago the NHL returned to Winnipeg. Um, what was going through your mind as the process kind of came about? When it returned, uh, I always said it would return. It was too good a hockey market. You know, you played in enough hockey markets in the NHL that just weren't that great and uh for but winnipeg was always strong they just needed a new building and then uh, you know get the right people running the show and um it's been a real first class organization since they come back mark chipman and his group there they, they do a wonderful job and um in the last couple of years starting with the heritage game last year uh he's in, started to introduce the alumni back and uh and it's been good. It's been good for the you know the fans of Winnipeg, and it's been, I think it's been good for the players too. They're starting to see the history of uh, of the Winnipeg Jets. You talk about that uh, that Heritage Classic, the alumni coming back, and you never got to play with them obviously during your career. But you and Timu Solani at different times, kind of the faces of that franchise. How much fun was it for you being on the ice with him? Well, it's funny when Timu was first drafted. I was still with Winnipeg, and he came to training camp. We were in. Uh, Moncton, but he had to go back for army duty, and, and that's why he didn't stay. We we really connected in uh, training camp, and John Ferguson told, was the GM, and he told me at the time, and I said, "Is there is there no way we can send another Finn back to do that?" <laughs> it was like, uh, no, he had to go back, and then he went back, and then he broke his leg, so he didn't come back to the NHL until he was what twenty one or whatever. So uh, I was gone by then, but uh, he was you could tell he was a special talent and. Uh, Playing with him in the Heritage Classic was great because he's, he's just, you know, removed from the game. He was still in good shape, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Does he still have it when you were playing with him, or <laughs> where, did he, where did he rank? Well, he looked me off a couple of times when I was open, so I had to give him shit, but uh, <laughs> no, he, he still got it. <laughs> 1981, you're drafted. You, you talk about Winnipeg and what it was like as, a, as an NHL franchise, uh, but when you got there, you became the face of a real fledgling franchise. At, at 18 years of age, Dale, when you get the call to Winnipeg, who I'm trying to remember the name, but anyway, they're coming off an awful season, bottom yeah. line. How did you feel? Your kid from Ontario off to, the, to Manitoba? Well, you know, I look back and, you know, I was the first pick, which, you know, you're proud of, but uh, when I look back on it, I was pretty lucky that it was Winnipeg because it was a place that really suited me, you know, and... Uh, I, you know, I had such a passion for the game, and obviously John Ferguson and, and his staff uh, had the same kind of passion. And then once I got outside the walls of the Winnipeg Arena, I realized the whole province had the same passion for hockey and the Jets, and uh, you know, it was a great place to play. I mean, uh, we don't we don't worry about the cold there because uh, we're we're playing hockey all the time then. But uh, uh, it was a great place to play, and uh, I ended up uh, after my first year buying a house and. And living there, and, and I lived for many years later. Even when I was playing in Buffalo, I had a cottage up in uh, Gimli, Manitoba. So, uh, um, you know, I had a closeness to that that whole that whole province. You mentioned your time in Buffalo and Winnipeg in the cold. Which city was colder? <laughs> um, it's damp here, out there, out there. You know, it's going to be cold, and 
you dress for it more there. That's what I noticed. You know, you had your your heavy dress coat and you had your parka, so you only had two choices when you got up in the morning. But uh, and uh, long johns were usually a good uh, thing to put on too. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. You've had some obviously major accomplishments in your career. You mentioned being taken first overall, back-to-back Memorial Cup, Canada Cup. Where does where do those rank? Where, what, at what point in your career were you like? You know, holy cow, what was the pinnacle that you, that you got to, you think? Uh, my whole career. Yeah. You know, I got to play a game I love. Uh, I was very ultra competitive. Um, every night I walked on that ice, I was thankful that I had this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate I won a couple of Memorial Cups, a couple of Canada Cups. Didn't win a Stanley Cup, but uh, I just know in my heart it wasn't from a lack of competing. But uh, I enjoyed the process of it, competing every night. And uh, um, th- that's when you know it's in your blood. I want to ask about the 87 Canada Cup. I'm sure you've talked about it many times, but there you are uh, on the ice with Lemieux and Gretzky. You're taking the face-off in the defensive zone. You win the draw, the play goes up ice, and you're trailing a little bit watching Lemieux and Gretzky head up the ice. What is going through your mind, and what are you seeing as a player? Well, I took the face-off by default because um, when I, when Keenan sent me out, Messier was at the end of a shift, and usually he would take the draws. But So I looked at Wayne, and he just shook his head, no, I'm not taking it. And then I looked at Mario, and Mario says, it's my wrong side. So uh, him being a right shot. So I said, I just whispered to Mario, I said, look, I'm just going to tie him up, okay? So that that's, that's kind of the the idea for him just to come in and look for the loose puck which he did and their defenseman pinched and away they went and uh, the rest was history when you were going down ice i, I watched a video and you, you looked like you ran a little bit of interference on, on the russian player which was obviously allowed back then um but what was what were you uh what was going through your mind when you saw them passing the puck um yeah i ran you, you could back then you could just kind of hook for a little bit but by the time the guy fell, I was 20 feet away from him. So, like, you know, it wasn't like uh, you got used to, you know, a guy. You could break a guy's stride everywhere if you watch the hooking. But uh, just watch him go in, it was like I, I knew Murph was wide open beside the net, but it was in Mario's hands, and uh, he hadn't missed much the whole tournament. But uh, I think because Murph was wide open back door, I think the goalie kind of froze a little bit and didn't play the shot as much. And, uh of course, Mario picked the corner, so it, it was it was elation because we were exhausted. You know, it was a tough series, and we didn't want to go to overtime again. There's a, I love the video, the celebration at the end, where you guys are up against the glass, and you must have jumped, I think, twenty times just <laughs> in the spot. Just you could tell you were so excited. Yeah, it was like I said, it was uh, it was a tough series, even even uh, you know when we were down in that. You know, the guys didn't say much. We just kind of all kind of knew what we had to do. It was a it was a quiet, confident group, and uh, uh, we knew uh, the only thing that mattered were going to be results on the ice. You mentioned Mike Keenan's name at that 87 Canada Cup, one of the NHL's legendary coaches. Was there a point in time along your path, Dale, that you realized, yep, coaching is where I want to go to next? Not really. You know, I really didn't think about it. Um, you know, he stayed in the moment, uh, but... Uh, you know, I just kind of fell into it in Orangeville a little bit, and then then uh, the calling came from Barry, and uh, here we are eight years later. But uh, goes fast, huh? Yeah, it does. It's like a blur. But uh, um, and, and even your playing career, because you're you're so focused on what's happening in this 
that day, you know, everything's day to day between injuries and changes or, you know, whatever's working, not working. So it, it hasn't changed really since when you, when you play. The only problem is, is a, you know, when we get fired up for a game, we can't go out and get a sweat and, and release that energy. You know, we got to stay in the moment, but uh, uh, it's been fun. You mentioned the competitiveness that you played with. How do you control that competitive competitiveness behind the bench? Because you talked about you can't go out and you know, get that sweat on when you get worked up. Experience, you know. I think uh, you know you've seen a lot uh, from behind the bench. But uh, I'm a believer. If uh, you know we're going to be confident, you know I got to be composed. And uh, if I'm composed, and my guys are going to look at me, well, he's not worried. Why should we be worried? So uh, um, I try to keep composure for sure. You played in a uh, wide-open era of the National Hockey League. Points were coming in. And it's not to take away from the points you put up, but you have guys like Gretzky and Lemieux. We talked about you playing with them on the Canada Cup, but did you ever look at the score sheets and say, come on, guys, give, a, give another guy a chance out here? <laughs> <laughs> it's different, you know. I played long enough that, you know, I saw a lot of the changes in 16 years. And uh, uh, when I first broke in, it was really man-on-man. Man. If you beat your man, there was a good chance you're going to create an opportunity. Uh, then, then it started, you know, the trapping and the zoning up and uh, uh, didn't have as many power plays either, which was, you know, uh, a big difference. And, but I think the biggest difference, more than anything, was the goalie's equipment. You know, the goalie's equipment changed a lot over time and, uh, you know, that's what's brought scoring down. You know, there's still a ton of chances, but these goalies now, they, you know, they're, they take just coming in on them. You, you can see there's so much less room to shoot at. Well over a point a game in the National Hockey League, um, a Hockey Hall of Fame member. What went through your mind when uh, that call came in? came too late. It came too late. Did I say that yet? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's always special, but you don't play. I never played for that. I I played to compete and win every night. And, uh, you know, when those accolades come, you know, you you reflect back on, you know, how so many people helped you to get here. whether it's, you know, minor hockey, coaches, players, uh, you know, it's a team game, right? So um, when you get uh, an individual honor like that, it's, it's almost a team honor. You know, you've played with some great players. 97 Cup final with Philadelphia, the closest uh, that you came. Uh, and obviously by that point you knew that it was coming up on the end of a career. What was that playoff run like for you? It was fun. Uh, it was uh, frustrating too because uh, my hip was really bad, and you know I just couldn't be the difference maker I wanted to be. And um, you know I had some good treatment for a while, especially through the Buffalo series, and then and then the hip got bad again. And as towards the end of the Rangers series and by the Detroit series, uh, you know it was almost shot. So um, that part was frustrating. Uh, I, I enjoyed Philadelphia; it was a great organization. Um, all, all the organizations I played for were, were great. It's just uh, and sometimes timing's everything, you know. Like uh, I played in an era where we didn't have, you know, there wasn't a salary cap, so some teams spent money and others didn't. And, you know, everybody had their budget, but when I was in Philadelphia, I soon realized that they weren't afraid to spend and try and get the best players and win it. How tough was it being traded, particularly that first time? You're part of a blockbuster deal going from Winnipeg to Buffalo. Um, that wasn't so hard. I, I thought I'd be in Winnipeg for life, but management changed, and uh, you know those things happen. But uh, you know, going to Buffalo, uh, uh, and I enjoyed Buffalo. We had a good hockey club there. We, it was one of those 
those five years we just couldn't stay healthy in the playoffs. One of our one or two of our key guys were always hurt, and uh, um, the fifth year I was hurt. So it was like it was a little bit frustrating that way. But uh, um, you know, seeing going to the East was you saw the difference in, in travel, um, even uh, you know media coverage. It's almost two, like two leagues, East and West. How do you like to travel here in the O? <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> We're pretty good. We're central, so yeah, we, we only stay over, you know, four or five times a year, so it's not too bad. I'm sleeping in my own bed at most nights. Here in the O, it's uh, obviously, you know, limited time for a lot of players, and making it to Memorial Cup is an accomplishment itself. You got to win two. Um, did you ever think after winning the first that you guys would maybe get back to a second? The first, we were kind of like a Cinderella team, so, like, you know, few teams in the queue had really stocked up and bought some players at the end and uh, then all of a sudden we had the you know we upset Sherbrooke in uh, in the finals in uh, six games and so then we went to uh, Regina and Brandon and there was Peterborough and of course uh, the Regina Pats you know with Doug Wickenheiser and again we were the the underdog and somehow we found a way and we had a lot, we had a lot of bounces on our way but it was a pretty tight-knit group uh, um, our starting goalie actually got hurt in the first round of the playoffs and the other guy ran the table so you know strange things happen when you win what about the second one the second one we were strong we were strong we, we got off to a slow start because uh, Doug Carpenter left just before we were going to start camp to, to coach in uh, Moncton for Toronto's farm team and then um, Bob Kilger came in. He just retired as a referee, so he really had no coaching experience. So we got off to a poor start. But then we found our way, and then by, you could feel it by the second half. We were a strong team, and, uh, um, yeah, we were. Uh, we wanted the Memorial Cup again, and that was that was our goal. Anything else would be disappointing, but uh, we had a good, strong team. Mark Crawford was there. Scott Arneal, Doug Gilmore came in. We had Fred Boimstrick, Fred Arthur on defense. So we were pretty strong. And a guy by the name of Dale Howard Chocolates. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you talked, Dale, about Winnipeg and knowing that uh, the NHL should be back there. Should the OHL get back to Cornwall at any point? Yeah, you never know, I guess. Um, you know, I think uh, it was a great hockey market. Uh, we obviously, we played in the Quebec League. Yeah. Because we won the two Memorial Cups uh, with Ontario kids, We, you know, but we were representing the Quebec League. Um, you know, the change came for Cornwall to come back to Ontario. And then, of course, it moved to Newmarket, to Sarnia now. But, uh, um, you know, it was, uh, I think the people in Cornwall were just so used to the, the style of the Quebec League, which was pretty high-flying at the time. And then the O was a bit of clutch and grab at that time, so it was a big change. I don't know if, uh, what happened there. But, again, it's ownership, too, who, who's, who wanted, whether they're going to keep it or move it. But uh, uh, you never know. It could be back there one day. They got the ring for it. Back in those days, it was much more, you, you weren't as f- uh, friendly with the other team. Nowadays, you know, kids know each other from uh, playing together. Um, are there guys from your playing days in both the OHL and the NHL that you still keep in touch with on a regular basis? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I remember um, Mark Crawford went to Vancouver and I was with Winnipeg and, and uh, Vancouver was in, in the morning skate, so I walked out by our bench and I was talking to Mark by the boards. He, Vancouver was skating and John Ferguson happened to walk by and he says, if you want to play on a line with him, I can arrange it. You know I mean? <laughs> so that was pretty funny, but that's the way it was back then. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I always say, you know what, uh, we were teammates at one time, but we were friends forever. 
What do you think of major junior hockey today compared to when you played it with Cornwall? Um, well, the game keeps changing, and you got to change with the times. And uh, same with our league. I've been here eight years, and, and the game's changed from my first year to now. So you got to change with the times, and the, the players adapt to it. You know, uh, as coaches, we we try to teach them uh, how to adapt to it as well. And uh, um, these guys are the group of kids. They're all sponges. They want to get to the next level, and uh, they learn to adapt. As you uh, were uncrossing your arms, I noticed a ring on your hand. It looks like a championship ring. Is that what we're looking at here? Oh, it's a Hall of Fame ring. Oh, yeah, is. yeah. Uh, I've worn that since uh, since I received it. But uh, yeah, the other ones are all locked away. You, you mentioned that you know when you get that kind of honor, the individual honor, it's a team honor and stuff, and you reflect on your whole career. Is there are there days that go by throughout the year though that when you go to grab something and you catch that, you're like, you know, I'm pretty lucky, kind of thing, or? Well, I realize I'm very lucky, but, uh, you know, I forget I even have it on sometimes, but uh, um, it, it just fits the best. <laughs> you know I mean? As you get older, you're, you know, the fingers change. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a special place every every year when induction time comes around. It's it's great to reflect on things and, you know, uh, there's a lot of special players in there. So this year, even, you know, going down and playing the Hall of Fame game and, seeing all the guys going in uh it's uh it's a remarkable group you mentioned that a couple times your competitiveness where did that come from um i don't know you know I, my parents were you know believers you know in, in growing up the right way treat people well you, you know treat people the way you want to be treated you know uh wrong from right and I, and I always kept those values but when when hockey was when it was hockey you know i had a I had a passion, you know, to, to keep it out and of our net and scoring the other net. So uh, sometimes you're just born with it, I think. Yeah, and when you look at uh, the relatively few, in the grand scheme of things, players that make it to the National Hockey League, is that trait almost necessary? You have to have that drive to keep yourself competitive at the next level? Well, 100%. You know, if you don't have that passion, uh, it's, there's too many guys that have it and they'll, they'll pass you by. Uh, when you have that passion, you know, it's like anything you do on the ice or off the ice, you're, you're challenging yourself that if you don't do it hard enough or fast enough, that you almost tell yourself you won't make it, so you keep pushing yourself. And and I've seen that, you know, with the Ekblads and the Shifleys and Pearsons when they came here, they were the same way. When did the hips first start flaring up on you? And you started knowing that, geez, this is going to get la- bad. Yeah, my last couple of years, uh, but, you know, uh, I wasn't sure how long uh, back then uh, had, the hip surgery wasn't uh, as prevalent and but I, I did get it checked out uh, towards the end and um, there was just too much wear and tear on it by that time it wasn't cleaning it out wouldn't have made a difference we talked about the hall of fame game and competitiveness and whatnot playing in that hall of fame game does that competitive competitiveness still kind of come up or you you know you get that pass and it bounces over your stick or you kind of like oh i really wanted that goal yeah, it's, it's it's still there with all the guys. It's yeah. funny, you know. It's a, um, once the game gets going, everybody so you can tell everybody's the same way, but uh, uh, it's just a little slower. <laughs> is there yeah. one guy that's more competitive than the rest, or, or one guy that you don't want to play against, hope, hoping that he's on your team? No, I think there's there's been a few guys in the past that uh, you know take it over the top, but they don't usually invite them back. <laughs> <laughs>
do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.